Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. Appreciate y'all. If you have your copy of God's Word tonight, if you'll turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to read a verse of Scripture there. And uh, the last couple of weeks, the last few weeks, I've been, uh, I've been teaching and preaching on the uh, priesthood of the believer and the kingdom living. And I started a few weeks ago uh, on kingdom living, and uh, we talked about living uh, a kingdom life and how do we walk in this hour. Uh, kingdom living is by occupying. We talked about that, and we talked about uh, the principles of uh, some of the principles of the kingdom. And then we moved into the priesthood of the believer. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter or, or Revelation chapter one verse six that we are kings and priests unto our God. And uh, we are a royal priesthood. And so I spent the last couple of weeks talking about the priesthood. And uh, I shared with you that that which was a picture in the old is a reality in the new. That the Old Testament, the, the type and shadow of the Old Testament is a picture of what God wants to bring the reality into the new. And so when he speaks of a royal priesthood, when he speaks of us as being priests unto God, we have to go back and look at what the priesthood was in the Old Testament. And so I spent the first week going over the garments of the priesthood. Uh, I told you and then showed you that what the wedding garments were. And uh, uh, that there's, uh, and showed you in the New Testament that at the banquet, uh, at the banquet of the Lord, at the judgment seat, that you had to have the right wedding garments on. And the right wedding garments was the right undergarments, which represented the breaches, which represented our salvation. It represented uh, Christ coming into our life. And uh, the Bible says that if Jesus be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And uh, we talked about the robe of righteousness that came over the garment of the breaches, which made us a believer in Christ, and that uh, we are robed in righteousness. Our salvation robed us in righteousness. And so that's the wedding garments. But then we talked about the priesthood, and we talked about that the priesthood was established by Melchizedek with Abraham in the Old Testament in Genesis 14. That was the first priesthood. It was the priesthood of the Gentiles through Melchizedek. It was a priest. It is a picture of uh, in the Old Testament, there was the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the, uh, the picture of what later would become the temple, but the tabernacle had an outer court, it had an inner court, and it had a, uh, the, the most inner court, or the Holy of Holies. The outer court, and then there was the holy place, which was the inner court, and then there was the Holy of Holies where the presence of God and the Ark of the Covenant dwelled. I think I have a picture of that there uh, to show you, to give you an idea of what that looked like. And when we look at the outer court, that represented the Old Testament. It represented where sacrifice, it's where blood was, it's where there was uh, bulls and goats and the washing of the water. Uh, it was where fire was, it was where sacrifice was. That's the Old Testament. It was where the law was met. As you come into the inner court or the holy place, represents the church age, the hour we are in now. When the priest stepped into the holy place, he put on a different garment. The garment that he put on was the ephod. The ephod was a blue robe that he put on. That blue robe uh, represented the Holy Spirit. 
And so he would put that on over his head. And remember, it had bells and pomegranates at the bottom, which represented the gifts of the Spirit and represented the pomegranates, represented the fruit of the Spirit. Did you all pick up on that on Sunday night when Scott was teaching on that? And he went into teaching on that. And uh, it represented, it represents the church age, the coming of the Holy Spirit. So inside the holy place represented the New Testament age. You had the bread of life, which was Jesus. You had the, the candle abra, which represented the illumination or the light of the world, uh, the illumination of the holy place. And then you had the altar of incense, which represented the prayers of the saints. And then you had the most holy place, which was the place where only the high priest could go into. He went in once a year for atonement, and that later represents, which we'll learn later, represents the millennial kingdom. It is the, it is the kingdom rule and reign of Christ for a thousand years on this earth after the church has been raptured. But we're not going to get into all that. But then there was the priest, and then there was the high priesthood, which was established by Aaron, the Old Testament. Uh, and then we had Jesus, who became our great high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And so when Jesus became our high priest, he made us priests and kings. And uh, we too have become kings and priests. And so uh, we want to talk a little bit about the, the priesthood of the believer. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be a king or a priest? What does it mean to walk in the priesthood of the believer? Now we know the garments we have to wear spiritually. We know we have to be born again. We know we have to have the robe of righteousness on. We know we have to wear the ephod, which represents the Holy Spirit, and the baptism. I'll go even further to say it represented the baptism of the Holy Spirit because the bells represented the gifts of the Spirit. The pomegranates, as I said, represented the fruits of the Spirit. And, uh, and of course, if you read Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, it explains the representative of all of those. And so he goes into the holy place. Those are the garments. But what are the actions of the priesthood? How, how does a priest perform? Uh, uh, how is he to act? How, what does it mean? What authority does he have? Well, we know that Jesus gave us, in, it had given us the supreme authority. We know the garments of the priesthood. We know that Jesus, being our great high priest now, has given us authority. We know the authority that Jesus walks in. So how are we to walk as high kings and priests? And how, what does that mean to be, uh, to walk in the priesthood? I'm telling you that if the church could ever get a hold of understanding of who we are in Christ, if we really ever got a hold of what Jesus really has provided for us, I'm telling you, revival would flow through this nation, through every church, and the fire of God would fall if we had a true understanding of what it was like to really truly be priests in the kingdom of our God. And so I'm going to start tonight by just breaking some of this down. I'm going to lay some foundation tonight uh, for this, and then Sunday I'm going to preach something that you don't want to miss because... Uh, it lit my fire just studying. I wish I could share tonight. I'm not going to because I ain't going to have enough time. But uh, let's begin by looking at 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. I'm going to go slow. We're going to look at some scripture. I'm going to try to break this down because I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to miss this teaching uh, because it's about order. How many know God loves order in our life? How many know that when our lives are in order, God's presence can come into our life? 
when our service is in order, God's presence can come into our life. So 1 Peter chapter 2, and beginning in verse, um, uh, let's actually, yeah, let's begin in verse, uh, verse 5. We're going to read one verse of scripture here. It says, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. I want to read that again. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Now that's a powerful word. And so how do we, I want to talk a little bit tonight about uh, the anointing and the anointing that is on the priesthood, the anointing that is on the believer, and uh, the anointing that, is, that has been given to us and to activate tonight that priesthood in our life, that kingdom priesthood in our lives, and begin to talk about that and who, who we are in Jesus, and uh, begin to talk about the Holy Ghost overhaul that is going to come. And that God is going to begin to release an anointing in our lives in a powerful way. Tonight I'm going to talk about what stops the flow of the anointing. What stops the flow. What keeps the anointing of the priesthood from flowing. The anointing in flowing in our lives. And as we uh, have found in the tabernacle of Moses that we find that these areas are relevant to us today. When we look at the tabernacle of Moses and how the priests served in the tabernacle of Moses, we will see that as priests, we have the anointing to serve the same way as the priests did in the tabernacle of Moses. That the same authority that they were given is the same authority that we have. That within uh, that area, we find uh, uh, that area. Now when we begin to look at that, within this scripture, we find there are three areas that are, that are, uh, that are covered here are spoke about, and um, look at the verse again. It says this, as you also as living stones. Now who's that talking about? That's talking about us. Is that not right? We are living stones. The scripture is referring to us as living stones. Living stones built into what? A spiritual house, right? And uh, uh, what does this spiritual house contain? Well, this spiritual house contains the Holy Spirit. We are living stones built into a spiritual house that the Holy Spirit dwells in. How do we know that? Because Paul said this, we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And so you see three things that are here in this verse. We're living stones that are built into a spiritual house. So you and I are spiritual houses. We are spiritual houses, and in, those, in that spiritual house, we hold the Holy Ghost, the presence of God. The baptism of the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. God's presence lives inside of us. And we are living stones. And then it says this, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, right? We're talking about the priesthood. To offer up what? Spiritual sacrifices, right? acceptable, that are acceptable unto our God through Jesus Christ. Now, 
there were three aspects in the Old Testament. There were the temple, the priesthood, and sacrifices, right? Here, spiritually, what Peter's telling us is that we are living stones that is a spiritual house. We are a temple. Not only are we a temple, but we're also a royal priesthood. We, too, are a priest. But as priests in the New Testament, just like the priests did in the Old Testament, we, too, are to be offering up sacrifices unto God. Do you all get that? The priesthood, the purpose of the temple and the priesthood, and the whole purpose of the tabernacle in itself, God's master plan for Israel was to, the plan was, as a nation, to have a temple, a priesthood, and that there would be sacrifices. The same that is in the old is also in the new. Now, the tabernacle of Moses, everything focused around the sacrifice. Everything. Everything was around the sacrifice. There was no need for the tabernacle if there was no sacrifices. There was no need for the priesthood if there was no sacrifices. In other words, there was no need for the temple. There's no, t- there's no need for the spiritual body. There's no need uh, for the priesthood if there is not sacrifices. The principal thing that God was teaching Israel in the Old Testament, that relationship came through sacrifices. That sacrifices were the foundation and the key to a uh, 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 relationship with God. And so what happens is we need sacrifices in order and sacrifices in the New Testament. We're going to talk about what are those spiritual sacrifices. What are the New Testament spiritual sacrifices as believers? We are a temple that has the Holy Ghost in it. We are a priesthood. And what does it mean as New Testament priests for us to go and offer sacrifices unto God? Because the sacrifices was key to Israel's relationship with God. Just as it is in the New Testament, that the spiritual sacrifices that we will talk about are very important for us in our relationship with God also. And so they need to be understood. We've talked very little about the understanding of what sacrifices in the New Testament really mean. What does 1 Peter 2, 5, what is it really saying? What does it mean for us as priests and as a spiritual house to be offering up sacrifices? But, it, but listen, look what the scripture says. It doesn't say just offering up any sacrifice, right? Is that what it says? It didn't say you just offer up any sacrifice. It said it was sacrifices that are what? That are acceptable unto God, right? How many know the standard is not you? The standard is God. God determines what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. God determines whether it is received or not received. God determines whether it's in order or if it's not in order. God determines whether it was giving with the right heart or given or done with the right relationship or not. God knows. God knows if that sacrifice is a pure sacrifice and is acceptable by him. And so we have to understand the principles of sacrifice. And so uh, we ask, what, what is, you know, God can only honor that which, which he has ordered. And when we look at sacrifices, we are seeing how they are applied to our lives. So we're seeing how, what we're going to see is that when we offer these spiritual sacrifices in our lives, what we're doing is, is that we are, we are applying these sacrifices 
to our lives. And when we apply these sacrifices to our lives, it has a lot to do with our relationship with God. I'm going to show you a couple passages of Scripture. Turn to James chapter 4 and verse 8, which is just a couple of pages in my Bible from where you are there in 1 Peter. James chapter 4 and verse 8. You're probably familiar with this Scripture. And uh, we've read it before. Matter of fact, I've used this scripture because the purpose of the priesthood in the Old Testament was to draw nigh to God, right? And so to draw nigh to God, when we draw nigh to God, God draws nigh to us. Now remember, there were things that the priest had to do himself, but there was also things that God did. So when, when the priest would do something, in other words, there, what, what was the priest's action? The priest's action is he had to make a decision to step into the breaches of the garments and pull them up, which represented salvation. How many know that our salvation is a choice that we have to make? We have to come to Christ. We have to accept Jesus as our Savior. And when we accept Jesus as our Savior, what does God do? What do we do? We drew nigh to God. And what God do? The Bible said that he gave us a robe of righteousness. God, we do our part. God does his part. We draw nigh to God. God draws nigh to us. Now that is a principle, a spiritual principle that you will see. If you will get that spiritual principle in your life, you will understand that when you do things in your life that draw nigh to God, God promises in his word he will draw nigh to you. Because he's a faithful God. So our acts of obedience is drawing nigh to God. Why do we draw nigh to God? So that God will draw nigh to us. And so here, I'm getting off. Y'all get me off on stuff. I can't stick to my notes. Verse 8, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Now look, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. What is he saying here in James? Cleanse your hands, purify your heart. Listen, he's saying as, 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 as the priesthood, he calls us, we, we, first God calls us to clean ourselves, to offer ourselves, that we have a part in our righteousness. You hear what I'm saying? In other words, we have a choice to live righteous or not to live righteous. That part of the sanctification process of our life as believers is us making the choice to live righteously. And as we live righteously, God applies to our lives the things that empower us that come with the obedience of living righteous. So, for instance, when we obey the Word of God in a particular area of our life, what are we doing? We are cleansing ourselves. We are we are walking in purity. We're walking in an area of obedience. It's as walking in the purity. And so when we're obedient in an area, God gives us the blessing that comes with the obedience that is in that area. Does that make sense? But we first have to be obedient. It doesn't come without us first being obedient. So he says, cleanse yourself, cleanse your hands, purify your hearts. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And you may have to write some of these scriptures down. I may be moving a little bit fast. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19. 
Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from, who you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. What's the command? The command is offering ourselves, our bodies, offering our lives unto God. And when we offer our lives unto God, we glorify God in our bodies. And what happens is when we cleanse ourselves, when we offer ourselves, when we purify ourselves, we position ourselves for God to do something powerful in our lives. Now turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 6, 6 or 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 16. Stay with me. I'm going somewhere. We'll try to get there. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 16. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, for they shall be my people. Come out from among them, and be ye separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. In other words, what's he saying? He's saying, come out from among them, be ye separate, do not touch that was unclean. And so here it is. Here's what stops the flow of God's anointing in our life. When the temple of God, which is us, becomes unclean. When we become unclean, we stop the flow of God's presence in our life. God does not show up. God will not dwell where there is sin, where there is compromise. In other words, we offer ourselves, we cleanse ourselves, we offer our bodies unto God. When we draw nigh to him by cleansing, he draws nigh to us. But God will not come near a defiled temple. And sometimes we can, we can and I'm going to show you in a second, and we've talked about this for months. You can be saved, but you can't be free. There are a lot of people who are saved, but they're not free. There are a lot of people who are born again and have salvation in Jesus, but they're not walking in victory. And the reason they're not walking in victory is because the flow of God's presence and the Holy Spirit is not moving through their life because the reason is, is because the temple is not right with God. Are you all with me? Is it even making sense to you? And it's the anointing in our life. Now... Under grace does not, does, it doesn't, in other words, some folks mean that being under grace, it doesn't matter what we do. But it does matter what we do. We are in the age of grace. And I really believe that the reason the, pour, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit in the church is not because the church is not saved, it's because the temples that are in the church are not clean. Because the presence of God will not dwell where there is uncleanness. Now, I'm not being mean. I'm not being harsh. I'm not, I'm not preaching you in the hell tonight. But what I'm saying is, if we want a move of God, then the temple of God has to be pure. 
Because God's presence will not dwell where there is impurity or where there is not order. The priesthood, not only they drew nigh to God, not by, all, by not just being clean, but they drew nigh to God by being in order, by doing things God's way, the way God said do it, the order in which God said do it. Okay, all right. Okay, that's going real good. Let's move on. Look, even when God created Adam, now everybody thinks that when Adam, turn to Genesis chapter 2, we think sometimes when God created Adam that he was in this la-la, you know, like, uh, like this euphoria land and that Adam was just like walking around. You grab a grape, you grab a fruit, you know, lounge for a while, lay at the spiritual beach of the Garden of Eden, that Adam had no purpose. It was all just like paradise. You know, Fantasy Island. If you all remember Fantasy Island. The plane, the plane. <laughs> all the old timers know for Fantasy Island. It wasn't just Fantasy Island. Look, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15, God even had a job for Adam. And this is, this is what it was in verse 15 of chapter 2. We see what his job was. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to what? It says to tend and to keep it. Is that not right? It says that God took, now sin had not come yet. Right? In other words, so thorns and thistles and all the curses that come with the fall of man, man began to have to work and his fruit came from the sweat of his brow. Then there was the curse of childbirth that came on women, right? Because of the uh, fall and the pain of childbirth. All of that came after the fall. This is before the fall. God told Adam, he said, I want you to tend. I want you to tend and to keep the garden. Now, what does that mean? In other words, I want you to garden and I want you to guard it. Now, if there's no thorn or thistle, if there's no weed or no death in the garden, what was Adam tending to? What was God having him tend to in the garden? Well, the word there, tend, means to cultivate or to steward or to control growth. So Adam's job was to tend the garden. His responsibility was is to make sure that the growth of the fruit of those things in the garden were able to grow, the fruit was able to grow rightly, that it wasn't overgrown, that it, wasn't, that it was cultivated. Now, I don't know if you all have had uh, any type of fruit trees or anything. I tell this story all the time because it's so vivid in my mind. I was pastoring in Tennessee, and I had a man in my church whose family had an apple orchard that had 150 acres of apples. He was the largest apple producer uh, uh, for years his family was. They even named a festival after his family. When he died, none of his children wanted the orchard. They just let it go, and it just died. And what happened was the trees and the branches would grow everywhere. I mean, it was crazy. Apples would 
for a few years, apples would fall on the ground. They would rot. They would be, it, it would draw all kinds of different types of birds and unclean animals into that orchard. And every time I would go visit him, I'd walk up there. And as I would walk up to his house, I'd get on his porch. I could look out. His name was Mr. Lewis. I could look out over that orchard, over those mountains there in East Tennessee, in the mountains of East Tennessee, on the other side of uh, just just. On this side of North Carolina, I could see those orchards, and they were all overgrown. And those, those apples would only grow to about that big, and they would fall off the tree, and they would rot. And because it hadn't been pruned and cultivated and kept, fruit couldn't grow rightly. So God gave Adam a responsibility. Even though he was living in, the, in a paradise, he had the responsibility to tend and to cultivate. And the truth is, even though when we walk righteously with God, there is still a responsibility to tend and cultivate the fruit that God wants to produce out of our life. It said to keep it, to guard it. It means to keep it in order. It means to keep it, keep harmonious relationship with the plant life. In other words, to keep it, to guard it. His, his job was responsible for the growth and the harmonious order of the garden. As priests and kings, as priests, we, we are responsible for the fruit that comes out of our life. We're responsible, we're to keep our garden. We're to make sure that the growth of the fruit in our, our, our garden can be cultivated and the, more, the, most, the best fruit can come out of our lives, but also we are to guard our garden and to make sure that it is a harmonious with God and that there's order in our garden, that there's order in our life. It has nothing to do with the fall. It has everything to do with relationship with God. Adam hadn't sinned yet, but God was asking him to keep his garden in order. Why? So that the paradise, the presence of God, what it represented could remain where it was. Listen, I believe that if we will get our spiritual fruit in order, if we will get our lives in order and protect our gardens and keep it harmonious with God, I believe God would bless it and the best fruit of our lives would begin to flow if we kept our lives in harmonious relationship with God. Y'all hearing what I'm saying? I hope it's making sense to you. There's nothing worse than a Christian who has a neglected life that the stop of the flow of fruit and your life and purpose has, has gone nil because your garden has been overgrown, because your garden is out of order, because your garden has, has let impurity in it. You've not, you've not separated yourself unto God. And though you're saved and though you love God, but your garden is a mess and nothing can flow from your garden because it's overrun with neglect. Because you don't pray, because you don't clean it, because you don't allow God to wash it out and cleanse it out. It has nothing to do with the devil. I know we all want to blame the devil. I'm telling you, sometimes the devil didn't do it. We did it. <laughs> sometimes the devil didn't have anything to do with it. But here's what God wants to do. As a priesthood, if we will order our lives, I believe that God's presence will flow through our lives. And when it flows through our lives and we get the pattern right and the order right, God has a right for his glory to fall in the midst of those who carry themselves separated and pure unto God. Come on, y'all. 
This is good stuff to me. In other words, in other words, our output for God should be in direct proportion to what's being inputted into our lives. <laughs> Jesus described it like this. He said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. In other words, what Jesus say? The rivers of living water that flow out of you is a direct result of what God is putting in you. Oh my, come on now. That's good stuff. And if nothing is flowing out of you, then what's happened is something is keeping it from flowing. If we can come to the understanding that the, that the, the, the power of God's order, that the order of the temple, the priesthood, and the sacrifice, that if we understand that and if we begin to uh, walk in obedience with God, God will begin to pour out of us rivers of life like we never, the floodgates would open, heaven would open up, and I'm telling you, a move of God would show up like we've never seen. Let me say this. Can I pastor you a moment and you're not getting mad at me? Because I love you. I hope you love me. Maybe not after tonight, but maybe. Listen, too many are looking for the pastor to do it all. How many know that the natural reveals the spiritual? Isn't that what we're talking about? That God, what Paul say in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, first comes the natural, then comes the spiritual. And a lot of times we, we look around and we say, well, why isn't the church growing? It's that pastor. Why isn't the anointing flowing? It's just that pastor. His words are not he's, not, he's not that good of a preacher. Why isn't the church growing? Well, that preacher, he's just not, he's not, he's not, he's not living up to the bill. <laughs> Let me tell you, the New Testament teaches that the church, we're sheep. Is that not right? Are we sheep? I, as the pastor, is a shepherd. Is that not right? All right. All right, hang with me. The Bible used the example of the sheepfold, right? He talks about a sheepfold. Now, the responsibility of the shepherd in the New Testament is to nourish the sheep, to clean the sheep, to protect the sheep, to comfort the sheep, to feed the sheep, to water the sheep, and keep the sheep protected, right? How does the sheepfold grow? The sheepfold grows like this. Shepherds don't produce sheep. Sheep begat sheep. <laughs> Come on, y'all help me now. The natural represents the spiritual. Now, here's the thing. Now, I don't know a whole lot about animals. I've been doing a little reading about sheep. And, uh, but I do know this, and I, I'm sure it's probably true in some way for all animals. But I knew to know this about sheep. I don't know if any of you have raised sheep. But the healthier a sheep is, the better the sheep's genetics are. The cleaner the sheep is, the better his genetics are. And get this. I read today that the healthier a sheep is, the greater potential of him reproducing himself. 
In other words, his genetics is better when he's healthy. He reproduces faster when he's healthy. What does that mean? The shepherd, what? He feeds, he nourishes, he shears. Sometimes he has to break their leg when they wander. He has to protect from the wolf. Is that right? Does it say anything about the shepherd responsible for the multiplication of the sheep? Sheep begat sheep. Okay. The healthier the sheep, the less blemish. They produce faster and genetically better. Why do you think the temple priests had their own sheepfold for the temple? It, 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 they, had, they had shepherds that were responsible in Bethlehem that were responsible for raising sheep just for the temple. And specifically, they were in charge of making sure that these sheep were genetically perfect and without blemish so that they could be used for the sacrificial offerings that was made. The sheep, matter of fact, the light in the book of Luke, when the light shone to the shepherds in the field, guess who those shepherds were? They were shepherding sheep that belonged to the temple. God's glory showed upon the sheep of the temple first. Isn't that amazing? Listen, hang with me. Y'all with me still? Right? So sheep begat sheep. But if a sheep, if sheep are sick, if sheep are not healthy, if sheep are not sheared, if sheep's teeth are bad, if their eyes are need salve, if they're if they're if they're wounded, then their ability to reproduce is less effective. But I'm here to tell you that if we as sheep, if we get our lives in order and become healthy as the body of Christ, we can't help but reproduce ourselves among one another. Huh? Y'all with me? Why? Because healthy sheep reproduce healthy sheep. We're clean and pure. There's order. Praise God. All right. Praise God. Now, I want to talk about something tonight, and I got a few minutes, and I want to talk about, I probably won't get to, well, if you would turn with me to the book of Leviticus. Now, I want to talk about something tonight, to leave you with something, and I want to get there, and, uh, oh, wait a minute, I've gone way far off track. Y'all got to pull me back. All right. Now, go to Leviticus chapter 5. We're going to go there in just a second. But Sunday I preached on the seed, right? And I preached that when we looked at Mark 4, there were uh, two seeds that, that did not make it. One seed fell by the wayside, right? And what happened was the vulture came and stole it, right? The second seed that didn't make it was the seed that fell on stony ground. And the Bible said it began to sprout up. But then, what? Then it was burned up, right? The sun came out and burned it up, right? There were four seeds sown. Two didn't make it, but two did. The Bible said one seed fell and fell in and began to grow, but it fell among what? It fell among thorns, right? And it was choked out, and it died after it began to grow. Then the last seed fell on good ground, and it produced good fruit, and it gave a harvest of 30, 
60, and 100 fold, right? Now, there were two seeds that made it. One seed fell into the ground, and it began to grow, but it was choked out by the, by the, by the thorns, and so it became what? It became unfruitful. In other words, it lived, but it became unfruitful. Then the one seed produced good fruit. And so, and so we know this. Where is the anointing? The anointing is in us. The output for God should be um, a, a direct proportion of what's been put in us. So if a, let me say it this way. If a gallon of the Holy Ghost goes in you, then a gallon of the Holy Ghost should come out of you. Right? That's how it should be. But what stops that? Well, what stops that is, is less any blockage or things that we got stored in our life that keep the flow of God from coming from out of us. In other words, whatever blockage is there, whatever, whatever uh, stoppages that are in our lives, we talked about that when we talked about uh, our freedom class. In other words, uh, things that are on the inside of us that keeps the living water from coming out of us. And so what do we do? We have a church that instead of is living water flowing out of, we are drip, 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 drip. There's a gallon going in, but there's a drip coming out. And what happens is we get, we're, we're professional receivers, but we do not have the ability to give out. We run the meetings, we run the revivals, we pour in, we pour in, we pour in. We listen to podcasts, we get on the internet, we watch our favorite preacher over and over and over again. We watch Christian television, we listen to Christian music, and gallons and gallons are going in, but drip, drip. Drip is coming out. Why? Because there's blockages that are there. And the flow has been flowed up. Now, why is that? Why is there blockages? Why is there, why is there blockages? Because what did Peter say? He said, we're living stones, and we are a spiritual house. And as a spiritual house, that inside of us, we are to be built up and to offer sacrifices that are acceptable to God. And so what's happening is the sacrifices that we are offering are not acceptable to God. So our outflow is less than what is coming in in our lives. Solomon says it like this. He says, there's a way that seemeth right unto man. But these ways end up in death. In other words, the Old, Testament blue, the Old Testament blueprint for the New Testament is this. Sacrifices in the Old Testament were important, and they are also important in the New Testament. Now turn to Leviticus chapter 5. I'm going to close with this tonight. I'm going to give you just a couple of things here. Y'all don't want to miss Sunday because I'm going to blow this thing up Sunday. Uh, Leviticus chapter 5, actually Leviticus chapter 7, turn to Leviticus chapter 7. There were five major sacrifices that the priesthood offered in the Old Testament. Five sacrifices. These five sacrifices are also representative in our spiritual life. They're also spiritual sacrifices that we are also to offer. 
the priesthood was responsible for offering these sacrifices. And uh, they are listed here in the book of Leviticus. And we're going to read Leviticus 7.7. But before we get there, I want to I give you the list of all five sacrifices and where you find them. Leviticus chapter 1 speaks of the burnt offering. That was the first offering that was offered by the priest. The second offering that's offered by the priest is Leviticus chapter 2, which is the meat offering or the meal offering. Boy, when we get to that, y'all, whew, that's a picture of communion in the New Testament. My goodness. Whew. Leviticus 3 was the peace offering. The priest was responsible for the priest peace offering. Leviticus 4 is the sin offering. That the priests were responsible for the sin offering. Um, uh, but there's a, there's a catch to that. And then Leviticus 5 and 6 talk about the trespass offering. Every priest had to know about each of these offerings. And they had to know them and how to serve in them whether they did them or not. There were hundreds of priests that were around the temple at all times. Many of them had different jobs. But every priest had to learn and had to learn every one of these sacrifices and how to administer these sacrifices. When we look at these sacrifices over the next couple of weeks, you're going to see how these apply to our lives. How we walk. This is how we walk in the priesthood. We are a spiritual house. But if you want to unplug and unblock the outflow of your life, you've got to learn how to walk in the priesthood properly and offer the proper sacrifices so God can unlock inside of you everything that he's put in you. How many want flow rights? How many want everything that goes in to come out? Woo! Sorry, I had to testify a second. Every priest had to know this. And out of the five major sacrifices, um, three of the sacrifices were what was called voluntary sacrifices. Voluntary sacrifices, voluntary offerings. So three of the offerings were voluntary. The burnt offering, the meal offering, and the peace offering was all voluntary offerings. In other words, these uh, offerings uh, were made, and if they were made, they were not required. But when they made them, they became a sweet savor unto the Lord. Right? Offering in your life, it's like tithe and offering. How many know the tithe belongs to God, right? That's God. That belongs to God. That's non-negotiable. But your offering is negotiable, right? And so anytime you give an offering above your tithe, what are you doing? That is a sweet savor unto God. The Bible says that our offering opens up the windows of heaven and God pours out blessing on our life. How many know sometimes that blessing doesn't always come monetarily? Sometimes it comes in good health. Sometimes it comes with, with God giving us a healing or a breakthrough in our life. How I many know sometimes it comes that God gives back in ways of maybe our children coming to the Lord, our breakthrough in an area of prayer? How I many know offering is important in our life? How I many know God doesn't make us give offering? We give offering voluntarily. We give it to God, and then God, it's a sweet savor unto God. I'm telling you that when you give the things 
that God loves and God believes in and God's hand is on, I'm telling you, God will open up the windows of heaven and your life will be enriched. And it may not always be monetarily, but there may be a peace over your home, a protection over your home. I clearly believe that Pastor Barnett, God spared his life. Why? Because I believe he's protected. Why? Because he's a giver. He's a tither. He gives unto the Lord. You say, well, those that died don't. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is he understands the fact that no matter what your circumstances is, God protects those who love his order and bring sacrifice to him. And so there were three volunteer offerings. However, two, uh, two of those offerings were what we call uh, compulsory offerings or by the law. And that was the sin offering and the trespass offering. Three offerings were voluntary. Two offerings were compulsory or by the law. All right? In other words, they were mandatory, somewhat mandatory and conditional. And then three of the offerings were a volunteer. Now, I want to get somewhere and then I'm going to end. And I I just want to get this to you just for a second. Leviticus chapter 7 and verse 7, Leviticus chapter 7, verse 7, and uh, it says this, it says, the trespass offering is like the sin offering. Now remember, the trespass offering and the sin offering are, are, are compulsory, they're mandatory, they're by the law, right? All right? It says that they are, uh, is like the sin offering, there is one law for them both, The priest who makes atonement with it shall have it. Now, those two offerings are alike. The the sin offering, the trespass offering, they're like in consequence. They're like in manner of of the offering. They're like in how the animal is sacrificed. But there's a slight difference. And, And let me just say this about the sin and the trespass offering. If you had disobedience in your life in the Old Testament and you needed to make a sin or a trespass offering, if you did not do it and refused to do it, what happened was God would cut you off from all the blessings that come even if you obeyed the other three offerings and gave them. The trespass offering and the sin offering cut you off from the blessing of God if needed to be made. In other words, if you had to make these offerings and you didn't, you were cut off from God until you did. It didn't matter how how many burnt offerings you gave or meal offerings or how many peace offerings you gave. If there was a trespass offering that was needed to be given, if there was a sin offering that was needed to be given, if you did not give them, you were cut off from the blessing of God. That was the law of the Old Testament. How many glad you all don't live in the Old Testament? Because some of y'all be walking around without fingers and arms and eyes poked out. (laughs) I'm just kidding. All right? But there was one difference in the trespass offering and the sin offering. And I'm going to show it to you. This is good. Turn over to Leviticus chapter 4. This last thing. I got to get this to you because I can't let you go home without it. Leviticus chapter 4 and verse 22 is where we begin. 
And uh, this is the, we're talking about the sin offering here. And uh, remember, the sin offering and the trespass offering are two separate offerings, but they are compulsory. They are, they are, they are needed by the law. They're required. Chapter 4 gives us the rules or gives us how the sin offering is to be conducted. Look at verse 22. We'll begin. When a ruler has sinned. Now ruler there, that word for ruler, really just means head of the house. It doesn't mean like a prince or king. It means head of the house. It means the, the lead, the person. The father usually represented the house. He offered the sacrifice for the whole household. So here in verse 22, it says, When the ruler has sinned and done something unintentional against any of the commandments. Now, that's a nice word here in the New King James. But there's some translations that said, says that when the ruler has sinned and has done something ignorant. How many has got that translation? How many know sometimes we do some things ignorant in the kingdom? And it says he has sinned and done some things unintentional against any of the commandments of the Lord, his God, and anything which should, be, which should not be done and is guilty. All right? His sin. He commits sin. And he's guilty of that sin. Or if, or if his sin, which has been committed, comes to his knowledge, he shall bring his offering. Now, look what he brings. He brings a goat, a male without blemish. And he, now listen, look at, look at what it says. And he, and he, who's he? The sinner, right? The ruler, the sinner. The sinner shall lay his hands on the head of the goat, and he shall kill it at the place where they kill the burnt offering before the Lord. It is a sin offering. Now, the sinner, the, the ruler, the head, brings the offering. He brings it to where the burnt offerings are sacrificed. He lays his hand on the sacrifice. He's the sinner. And the Bible says he kills that sacrifice. Right? He kills it. He kills it himself. He kills it. Remember that. In other words, he kills it. And he shall slay his hand on it because he is the sinner. Uh, and so he is the sinner. Now, look at chapter 5 and verse 6. Now we're talking about the trespass offering. And look at chapter 5 and look at verse 6. Hang with me. We're going somewhere. I know you think we're not, but we are. Verse 5, let's just begin in verse 5 of chapter 5. Now we're talking about the trespass offering. Remember, they're both the same except for one thing. And in verse 5 it says, And it shall be when he is guilty of any of these matters that he shall confess that he has sinned in that thing. All right? And we'll talk the difference about what's the difference between the sin and trespass, because I'm going to show you that. And he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord for his sin, which he has committed. Now, who's he? He's the one that's trespassed, all right? A female from the flock of the lamb, a kid, so it has to be a goat. He brings a female instead of a male. And as an offering, and look, look, here it is, at the end of verse 6. So the priest shall make atonement for him concerning his sin, all right? The sin offering, who kills the animal? The sinner does. But the trespass offering, who kills the animal? The priest does. Is that not right? 
All right, stay with me. Don't go nowhere. Okay? So Jesus is our ultimate sin offering, of course. And uh, uh, Jesus, he is the ultimate sin offering. Jesus is representative of all the offerings in Leviticus. Jesus fulfilled them all. He fulfilled every one of them on Calvary. Not just uh, some of them, but he fulfilled all of them. Jesus just didn't die for the Jew. He died for the Gentile. Jesus died for whosoever will come, right? He died for whoever. Whoever is born, Jesus died for. However, though, um, we know that though Jesus died for every man, not every man accepts Jesus. Is that right? I was preaching on the street one time, and I was witnessing to a guy, and he was a really smart guy, intelligent guy. He's like Dr. O'Neill, really intelligent. And I was witnessing Jesus to him, and I said, told him, I said, you should receive Jesus so that you can have eternal life. And he said, uh, I can have eternal life without Jesus. And I said, no, you can't have eternal life without Jesus. He said, yes, I can because I can choose to go to hell. In other words, I have eternal life. I can choose whether or not I receive Jesus. And I thought, you know what? You're right. You just made my case for me. You need to receive Jesus so you don't go to hell. <laughs> the fact is we all have eternal life. The choice is where we're going to spend it. And this life is where we choose where we decide where to go. And when we receive Jesus, we receive his sacrifice, we receive his offering. Jesus is the fulfillment of, of all the sacrifices. When we accept Jesus, uh, uh, we don't have to accept him again. Now, I'm closing with this. Adam, Pastor Adam, come. We're going to pray. All right. The sin offering was offered by the sinner, right? So the sin offering, once a head of the house made a sin offering in the tabernacle or the temple, he did not have to make ever again another sin offering. Never again. Because... And the picture is this, is that the sinner, by offering that offering, what he's doing, he's offering that sacrifice for his sin. When we receive Jesus, when Romans 9, 10, when Romans 9, 9 and 10 tells us that if we believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he was raised from the dead and we believe on him, our sins are forgiven. Is that not right? And we are saved, right? We confess our sins unto God. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. We've been washed. We've been born again. But who has to do that? We do. The sinner has to offer. The sinner has to come to Christ. The sinner has to receive the blood. The sinner has to be the one that does the receiving and believing. And the sin offering represents us bringing our life, our sinful life, to the altar. Bringing my life. When I gave my life to Jesus, I brought my life to the altar. 
I brought everything I was to the altar. I just didn't bring part of it. I brought it all, and I put my hand on that representative lamb, which was Christ. I reached out and touched Jesus, and he became sin for me. And as a sinner, I laid that offering down on the altar, and once that offering was slain, I don't have to be born again. Because the cross was the finished work of Jesus for me. I don't have to be born again again. I don't get born again every week. Why? Because what Jesus did was sufficient enough for both you and me. So the sin offering doesn't have to be offered again. How many are grateful? You don't have to bring a sheep or goat or pigeon into this house and make a bloody scene up here on this altar. You come to Jesus, you settle it at the altar, it's done. You're forgiven, washed in the blood of Jesus. Whew. But the trespass offering's different. Because the trespass offering, you can't be a priest if you're a sinner. The reason in the order of Leviticus you have the sin offering before the trespass offering is because until you cannot become a priest and first until you take care of the sin that's in your life. And so now that you have taken care of the sin that's in your life, now you become part of his priesthood. Now you can offer the trespass offering, which is an offering of trespass. And I don't have time to go into it, but the New Testament principles, if you read Matthew 6, if you read the prayer of Jesus uh, and, 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 and the Lord's Prayer, at the end of the Lord's Prayer, and uh, verse 14, it begins to say, uh, uh, in the Lord's Prayer, it says, if we forgive our debtors, right, and that uh, we forgive those who have uh, trespassed against us, and we forgive, you know, as, as, we, as we have been hurt, we also forgive. Verse 14, if you'll read verse 14, it goes on to say that we are to forgive those who are in trespass of us. In other words, those who have heard us. What's the trespass offering? The trespass offering has to do with our relationship with others. That's offered by the priest. When I don't have right relationship with others, I would bring the trespass offering as a priest. I would offer that offering unto God that that relationship would be fixed. Forgiveness. Do you all realize that the number one reason that blocks the flow of the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ and in the church and what stops the revival in God is men's relationship with men. Let me tell you what stops revival. What stops revival is trespass. We not forgiving those who have hurt us. We not forgiving those who's trespassed against us. We not forgiving, others not forgiving us for how we have trespassed against others. Man's relationship with man has kept revival from falling. Man's relationship with man has kept pain and hurt, forgiveness, disagreement, anger, Bible says in the last days that sons and daughters shall rise up against fathers and mothers. That relationships will not be strong. 
And the reason revival doesn't come sometimes in the house is because trespass runs right through the body of Christ. And so things are going in, but there's no outflow going out because men are not right with each other. They can't love one another. They can't forgive one another. They can't get past the fence or get past hurt or get past what someone else has done to them. And they will live for years in pain and lock themselves down in isolation. And lock. Listen, I know this because as a pastor, I have to deal with it, but also I have to battle it. And if I'm a priest, and if I'm after the order of Jesus, if I'm a priest... And a king and priest in the kingdom, I've got to learn how to handle the trespasses that are in my life. The sin offering has already been made, but the trespass offering, that's where we have to take to the altar. That's where the sacrifice has to go. That's where the revival meets the road. I mean, we see it in our political world, it's gone crazy. We're gone from being political opponents to hating one another. Physically. I mean, we've got senators that are calling people to disrupt people's lives. We've got people, I mean, and listen, it's not just the political environment. It's in the church. We can't get churches to work together or to be together. Don't go down there and be around those Pentecostals. They might rub off on you. And we do it too. Don't go be around them Baptists. They may fill your head with something. You know, why? 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 The same sin offering that saved you is the same sin offering that saved them. But yet, we don't have the flow of the Holy Spirit because we have a trespass against one another. And I'm just going to tell you that if you want revival here, We've got to learn to love one another and learn to be together and walk in unity. And things may not always go your way or my way, but the truth is God's still on the throne. And because you didn't get it your way doesn't mean God's still not in control. Y'all hear what I'm saying? We have to love one another. Men, we have to love one another. We have to, we have to uphold one another, strengthen one another, build up one another. We have to walk with one another. Listen, I'm going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. That's why there's a trespass offering. So that we bring those mistakes. You know, the trespass offering was for those mostly who touched that which was unclean. Go ahead and read it in Leviticus chapter 5 or 6. They would touch something unclean. And you know, there's times that we in our lives, we touch things that are unclean. I touch things that are unclean. I may not intentionally do it, but maybe I'll say something. Maybe I'll do something. Maybe I'm not the most perfect pastor or the most perfect person. Maybe I don't communicate everything right. Maybe I do forget people and don't call them when they're sick sometimes. Maybe I do forget certain things that folks have said and I forgot. Maybe I do, as a pastor at times, not be able to, to you know, maybe as a shepherd sometimes I forget to feed some of you. But the truth is, sheep beget sheep. And it's one thing, God holds me accountable for my relationship with you. But how about your relationship with one another? I'm not responsible for that. You are. And what kind of offering have you been making? 
What kind of sacrifice have you put on the altar? Who have you held in your heart? Who have you held tight in your heart? Who can't you forgive? Who can't you let go of? And all I'm saying during this church, I'm just telling you, if you've got things in your life and you've got somebody in your life that you can't forget, you can't find forgiveness for, I'm telling you, you're blocking up the flow of the Holy Spirit in your life. If the order is not right, the fire will not fall. There was no fire in the temple of the New Testament. Stand with me. I know. I've got to quit. There was no, 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 there was no fire in the, new t- in the in Herod's temple. You know why? Because everything was out of order. What did we teach? Caiaphas was not a true high priest. Ark of the Covenant wasn't even in the temple. It was all show and show and show. It was all pomp and circumstance. It was a picture of, you know what it was a picture of? It was a picture of being spiritual but having no power. I'm telling you, that's the day we're living in. We look good. We got technology. We'll smoke them out. We'll light them out. We'll blow them out with our, our, they, our technology. We'll impress them. Where's the power? The reason there's no power is because the trespass has not been dealt with in the lives of many people. But I'm, we, we don't have to leave here tonight with trespass in our heart. So let's close, close in prayer tonight. I'm sorry I kept you so long. Thank you for being patient. I, I, please forgive me for being later tonight. But just lift your hands to the Lord. Father, we just received tonight. Lord, I don't want anything in my heart to be against my brother or my sister. Lord, I don't want anything in my heart to keep me from flowing in the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I release right now everyone that's ever hurt me, everyone that I've ever done wrong. I pray, God, that they will forgive me. And I pray, God, that you will wash me clean. I bring my trespass offering to you. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.